Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and golf, and so much more. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting props and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use promo code BELIEVE50. That's promo code B L E A V 50, BELIEVE50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin. No Jack Fitzpatrick this week. Uh, Jack is on vacation. I believe he's living it up at the beach. So next week we will get into JMU football, Sunbelt Media Day, all that good stuff. But this week we have another Jack as a guest. Very excited to welcome in Jack Bonifant, who is a former JMU golfer who has an incredible story. I think this is a, a really probably one of the more exciting guests I think we've had in a long time on the podcast. So Jack, welcome in. Hey man. Uh, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Doing well. Really excited to talk to you. It's not often we get to talk JMU golf on the podcast. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, there's not a, a huge audience for that. <laughs> so uh, I, sure. I, I get it. Yeah. Excited to, to talk about it in your stories pretty incredible. So I guess for starters, could you give us a brief breakdown kind of, of, um, I guess I know you're, you've got a, a long story. That's, that's really incredible in a lot of ways, I guess. Um, when did, when were you at JMU and, and I guess we can start there. Yeah. When were you at JMU and, and what do you do now? Yeah. Uh, so I was a freshman at JMU in 2008, uh, graduated in 2012. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, walk onto the JMU golf team like we talked about. Uh, played three years of um, Division One collegiate golf, which was a, a fantastic experience, and you know walked away with some of the best friends that I still have today. Um, these days, uh, I live in Kensington, Maryland. Um, I sell software for a company called Veronis to. Uh, HHS agencies, as well as uh, the Veterans Affairs. And I still play a lot of golf today. Awesome. Yeah, that that makes sense. You're also near me. I'm in uh, a Chevy Chase right on the, the Maryland-DC border. So oh, at the JMU yeah. connection, we're nearby. I was <laughs> excited about that. Very close. <laughs> yeah, extremely. 
Uh, but yeah, no, excited to have you on and, and talk about your story. You mentioned your time at JMU and, and walking on, which sounds like a pretty, pretty awesome story we'll get to in a second. But sure. uh, for starters, I guess I came across you on Twitter recently. I think it was Beth Ann Nichols was tweeting a bunch mm-hmm. of, um, I guess she had a long thread of, of the U.S. Adaptive Open, which is a, a golf tournament. Um, and then you were on there and I saw that you had played at JMU. So I was interested um, kind of in your story. And if you don't mind, could you kind of take us through your childhood a little bit and your journey uh, with golf, which I think is a really unique one. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was born May 2nd, 1990. Um, six weeks later, um, my mom went to the grocery store. Uh, my dad was attending a wedding in St. Louis. Um, and I was left with uh, our babysitter at the time. And um, she took a spill down uh, about a flight of stairs um, where I fell with her, uh, cracked my head open, fractured my skull. Um, thankfully, Park Police had a headquarters about a mile away. Um, and I was able to get a helicopter to my cul-de-sac uh, very quickly. Uh, and I was medevaced to Children's Hospital where I spent I think about three or four days on the pediatric ICU. Um, my mom uh, had to take a cab to the hospital uh, because the authorities wouldn't allow her to drive because she was in such a state of uh, shock, really, probably. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I live it every day, but I don't think about that day a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do, I, I just think m- more about my parents and um, what it was like for them to uh, just get up on a regular day and have something like that happen. Um, but so um, I am what's designated as a left hemiplegic. So um, I have a partial paralysis of the entire left side of my body. Um, While at Children's Hospital, my parents were told that I I would not, I would most likely not be able to do any bilateral activities um, and that I had a a pretty long road ahead to really figure out what kind of life I would lead. Um, Thankfully, my mom is a uh, speech pathologist and she knew everything that I needed to be doing. Um, she knew everything that I needed to be prepared for. Um, and I really don't think that I could have accomplished all that I have, whether it be in athletics or in life in general, if she didn't know exactly what to do and when to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sports just came naturally. I, I don't know. My mom talks a lot about just the independence and will is what she likes to talk about it Mm -hmm. that she saw really in me at a very young age. Um, and I, I just never really thought twice about trying anything or, or figuring it out. Um, I know my dad always talks about how when he introduced me to baseball, he just kind of handed me a mitt Mm -hmm. and told me to figure it out. (laughs) <laughs> and uh and 
And I did. I, I played baseball like Jim Abbott does. Jim Abbott did not have a left hand. And um, he threw, he pitched in the major leagues for, I think, almost 10 years. And um, I threw and caught with my right hand uh, and played some select teams uh, up until about high school, where um, the high school that I attended freshman year was both uh, golf and baseball in the same season. Uh, <laughs> and my dad said, you know, you're, you're a little slow, so we might want to stick with golf. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's kind of where my um, dedication to golf kind of really took off. Awesome. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I was curious too, I guess, um, obviously the, the accident or incident that you had early was mm -hmm. pretty, you know, intense. It sounds like from, yeah. from how young you were and, and then all the, yep. the care you needed, I guess, what were, you mentioned those expectations that the doctors had initially, what was mm -hmm. it like to, to kind of grow up, um, with those and, and maybe exceeding those. And I guess, was there a lot of physical therapy? Like what did it sort of look like for you growing up? Yeah. So from a, a therapy standpoint, I had probably two to three therapy sessions a week for about 10 years, mm -hmm. um, whether it be physical therapy, occupational therapy. Um, I had a number of surgeries to help with drop foot as well as um, a, what's called a percutaneous lengthening, where you're working on relaxing muscles that my brain doesn't have the ability to relax itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, at a young age, I figured out what the word never meant. Um, this was something that I lived with every day. This is mm -hmm. something that I knew was never going to change. Um, but it's, I think I was really lucky in that I never knew life before it. So it's not like I've known anything different. Right. Um, so I just had to figure things out my own way. Um, I was told I would never be able to ride a bike. I took the training wheels off of my bike at age three and just kind of hit the ground running there. Um, certainly was told that golf wouldn't be an option, but mm -hmm. my dad handed me a club and we went to the range and we just figured it out. Um, he wanted me to play left-handed because kind of your, your right side would be getting through the ball. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, he always tells the story that he kind of walked away when he first handed me a left-handed club and he turned around and I was like all out of sorts. And he was <laughs> like, okay, no, this isn't going to work. So, um, you know, it, was it hard? Yes. But, um, I just, I think of more about how lucky I am and how fortunate I am to be able to lead the life that I have, that my incident didn't deter me from experiencing a lot of things that are normal, uh, are extremely positive. And I, I just, I, I think about my parents a lot when it comes to that. Yeah, I kind of wanted to go there next, if you don't mind. I guess, tell me about your parents. You had mentioned in a text that that both of them played a, a pretty instrumental role in you being able to do some of the things you're you're able to do today. What was it like growing up with them and, and having them as what appears to be really incredible support system? Yeah, um, my, my parents 
know that it's extremely difficult. They know that it can be extremely hard, but I think they made a conscious effort to do two very important things. Um, one, the babysitter that was with me that day um, was my nanny until I went to college. Um, my nanny took me to every single therapy session, every single, picked me up at every practice where I walked away frustrated from the kids that could do more than I could. She dropped me off at the golf course. She, she just did a lot. And my parents set the expectation that blame was never going to be a part of anything that I experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and number two, they raised me just like they raised my sister and my brother. And I was just another kid. Um, and they challenged me and I had different challenges, but they let me drive myself to figure out what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it and how I could do it. And, you know, I was, I was never disabled first. I, it's just something that I have and I have to deal with. I think all people struggle with something. Mm -hmm. whether it's physical and and a little bit more seen like mine, but it doesn't mean other people's lives are any less difficult than, than my day to day may be. Um, I think it just, it set a foundation of, I never look back, but it also set a foundation that I could get to anywhere that I wanted to get if I, decided that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's an incredible perspective. And when you mentioned sort of your your time at JMU being a walk-on, yeah. I was excited hearing that you were a walk-on and sort of that story mm-hmm. that you had there too. <laughs> so <it's>, so I, <laughs> yeah. take me a little bit to, to high school too. So you're switching from, sure. from baseball to golf, mm-hmm. um, sort of primarily. When in high school was that? What did that sort of look like? Was it more practice time? Did you have college golfing aspirations? Most definitely. Um, I grew up and still are a member at Argyle Country Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in an environment of golf that was extremely competitive, and we all wanted to play Division One golf, and we all did. Um, and that was extremely unique that I learned to kind of when I left Argyle and went to JMU that not everyone grew up in a club where it was so competitive. Um, but it was, it was always a little bit more difficult for me. Um, I, I just had to figure it out a little bit differently. Um, and I would also say that I was probably a little bit of a late bloomer, which drove me down the walk on path. Um, (laughs) Going into my junior year, I, I, I was fortunate enough to win a pretty big junior golf tournament in Springfield, Virginia. Um, and I remember the head golf professional at Springfield Golf and Country Club, his name was Quinn Sullivan. And he, after I won, and I mean, uh, there was an article written about me, and I'll never forget, <laughs> Jack Bonifant wins. The only other win that he's had is the 13 and under junior club championship at, Ar- at Argyle. And I mean, going from like, winning that small thing to winning this 
pretty sizable junior golf tournament in Virginia was quite a jump. Mm -hmm. And Quinn pulled me aside and said, you know, where, where do you think you're going to play? And I was like, I I don't know. I'll play anywhere. And uh, (laughs) so my, my mom went to James Madison. My brother was at JMU at this time. And I wanted to go to JMU. It was in the family. Uh, But Quinn Sullivan introduced me to VCU's head coach. And I'll never forget this. He had this big van there. And I introduced myself. And he was asking me about where I wanted to play and what I was thinking. And I was like, you know, my brother goes to James Madison. My mom went there. I, I would really like to be able to meet the coach. And I think that'd be a good place. And I said, but you're the head coach at VCU, correct? And he goes, yes. And I think JMU would be a great place for you. And that was like, I, I reached such the peak <laughs> of like my junior golf career and then the reality of competition and how hard it was uh, to play collegiately. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing led to another. I, I decided to go to JMU without any commitment from the, uh, Jeff Forbes, who was the head golf coach at the time. Um, he gave he had an open tryout and I'm pretty sure to this day, this is the last open tryout that JMU golf ever hosted. Um, and the funny thing is, is that four incoming freshmen were already coming to be on the team. And it was Chris Waldy, Chad Mazingo, Michael Smith, and Garrett Whitmore were like the big recruiting class mm-hmm. of the JMU golf team coming into 2008 fall season. And he had this open tryout and those four guys are probably four of my best friends today. Mm-hmm. But the first week that these guys met me, they hated me <laughs> because I was this incoming freshman and we had a six round tryout, which in golf terms, I mean, PGA tour tournaments are four straight days. And this tryout was six straight days. Wow. And I'm pretty sure that, Coach Forbes was actually just trying to weed out all the people that thought they wanted to play, but didn't really yeah. want to commit <laughs> to what Division One collegiate sports is all about. Um, and I came in, and I just remember by like the second round, I kind of looked around, no one really wanted to talk to me because I was the walk-on that was coming in and shooting scores and beating people. And uh, I was top four, I think, at this point. And I just remember telling myself that I belonged there. Mm-hmm. And that I think at the end of this tryout, no matter what happens, at least I know that I can play at this level. And one thing led to another. We came down to the last round remember I, I played okay on the front nine and it was me and two incoming juniors who had played on the team previously mm-hmm. um mike Mizenzal and johnny montano and the fourth person in our group was a guy by the name of tim driver who i'm really close friends with today and i think what really helped me through that last nine holes is i just remember tim who was a senior an incoming senior on the mm-hmm. JMU team was from Harrisonburg. We were having the tryout at his home golf course, like three days before he told me, 
a walk-on that he thought I deserved to be on the team. And he saw my game and he felt like I could compete with these guys and he hoped that I made it. And that just really resonated with me. That a senior telling to walk walk on. And so we played the last nine holes. And I looked, I probably made just about every putt that I looked at for that nine holes. And I don't think that stigma of how good of a putter I am really ever left me throughout my career on the JMU team. Um, and I just remember walking back to Eagle Hall, calling my dad and just saying, dad, I did it. And I remember like bursting into tears, mm -hmm. but then I had to like quickly like catch myself because I was like meeting all the people in my freshman hall that like <laughs> I had no idea, you know, I just met them like a week before and they were like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, I just made the JMU golf team and I'm on the phone with my dad. Like, it's kind of a big moment. <laughs> so I can, I vividly remember I was standing right outside the football stadium, right? Walking into Eagle Hall and I called my dad and told him, and that was, that was pretty special. That's incredible. So how is the, the, I guess the six round work, is it you against scholarship guys too, it sounds like, or is it I guess how do you earn that that spot and who, yeah. who gets left out when you when you go three under in your last nine? I think you said correct. So he had the coach set it up where it was there were going to be eight guys on the team. So he was going to have four coaches picks, and then the top four would make the team. Gotcha. And before we played the last round, he told us that his four picks were going to be the four incoming freshmen. Okay. And then the other four were open and it ended up being fielding Brubaker won the qualifier, Matt Neely, who I'm really good friends with still today in a second, Tim driver finished third. And then I finished fourth by one shot. And a really funny part about the whole day was that I remember leaving and thinking that I just kicked these incoming juniors one who was from columbia and lived in harrisonburg to play on the golf team i just kicked them off the team well coach boards handed me like this registration sheet and my name was in ink and he had clearly typed it in before <laughs> the round and so he ended up being able to extend the team to 10 players and so mike and johnny both played uh, for the next two years. Um, and so I went from probably the most disliked person to, okay, he's just another guy on the team. Um, and, you know, looking back at my collegiate career, to be honest with you, I, I was a pretty lousy collegiate player. Um, but what JMU offered me was an opportunity to play division one golf. Uh, and I, I left JMU with some of my best friends and they're still my best friends. Um, but they didn't offer me a scholarship because I was disabled or use it in any way to better the image of the college. I was just given an opportunity just like any other person there that week. And I was good enough. And I just really, I always appreciate 
the fact that I was probably the last walk-on to JMU's yeah. golf team. <laughs> that's really cool yeah i didn't realize they had abandoned that but i guess that makes sense it's a, <laughs> an interesting yes. format i know so many like colleges are bringing in kids from from like europe so it'd be be kind of yes. tough they got beat out in a tryout or something <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome though so then it sounds like you're close with a lot of those guys what were the what was your career at jamie like i know you had mentioned that you're a lousy oh. player but what was it like to to kind of be on a division one golf team for for your career so um Golf takes up the most time of any sport. Yeah. So just 18 holes takes four hours and you're technically only allowed 20 practice hours over a seven day period, or right. at least that's the way it was when I was yeah, I think at that's JMU. Right. Yeah. Um, golf only also has two seasons. So we played in the fall, which wasn't our championship season, but we, then we played again in the spring. I mean, it, it was a full-time job Yeah. on top of going to class. Right. And, right. you know, that was something that I just like got thrown into. Um, and were there times that I played really well? Absolutely. Um, but looking back, I, I think I really struggled mentally with overcoming knowing what I had to deal with going into a tournament against people that were trying to play on tour in a couple of years. Knowing that it wasn't fair that I had a physical challenge different than every single person that I was playing against. Mm -hmm. And I got angry looking but you know i think we talk about mental health a little bit more mm -hmm. now but i was in a really really dark place i was angry at everything and i was in a an environment that was just so competitive yeah. that it was very difficult going into it knowing or feeling like the other guys got to start on second base and mm -hmm. i was starting from home a little bit um you know with my with my paralysis my sensation is hard to explain in my right hand versus left hand because i've never known anything different mm -hmm. but yet i know i don't get really the signals from my left side that i do on my right so it's kind of like i play golf with seven fingers and everyone else is playing with 10 mm -hmm. and i just approached it like an 18 to 19 year old person that was just frustrated that it, I wasn't getting better, but I wish I could have competed at a higher level. Um, I know I didn't play my fourth year and I think where I was mentally was a big driver behind that. I, I put the weight of the world on my shoulders mm -hmm. and no one really could understand how difficult it was to compete collegiately while I was still trying to figure out how to best put my own body in a position to perform. Mm -hmm. And whether it was <laughs> Wilmington, North Carolina in February when, when it's blowing 35 miles an hour, you're playing an extremely long golf course, it's 45 degrees outside and 
I probably needed to get to the golf course two hours early just to stretch my left side out because it gets so tight and so restricted that playing in the cold is just more difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And doing the personal development that I've done after college, the physical development that I've done, I've learned a lot more about it. And I know I could have gone back and prepared myself a little bit more. Um, and I don't fault myself for not playing my fourth year. Um, and I just, one of the things that I admire so much about my friends that, that were on the team, they did never held it against me either. I don't mm-hmm. think they really understood how difficult it was for me. Um, but I don't even think I knew in the midst, in, in the midst of it, how difficult it was and how much I had overcome, but yet, you know, golf is, especially at the collegiate level, every week you are competing against your teammates to make the team. So it's an individual sport, but it's also a team sport. And, you know, self-doubt can be like a virus. Yeah. And that's what I ran into really hard. And it's unfortunate. I wish I could have played better for the university, um, but I did it. Uh, I know I could compete at that level, and I walked away with some of the best friends that I've ever had and still have today. Um, you know, I have a group of friends around the Maryland area. Um, the Jamie team's kind of dispersed a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but my, my girlfriend noticed when we went down and, and spent a weekend with Chris Lowdy is that we say, I love you. Mm-hmm. And we kind of say it how guys say it, you know, <laughs> love you, dude. But the Jamie golf team are the guys, whenever I in the phone call or a text message or messing around with them, you know, that's how we end the conversation. And it just kind of happened organically. And I think that's, and I think that comes from JMU as well. I think JMU is just a, a special place and, I don't think you ever really meet someone that didn't like their time at James Madison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally agree with you. And and I'm interested too, because I want to talk about some of your recent accomplishments and previous past sure. golf accomplishments. And, and you mentioned sort of, um, I guess the, the low point you were at at times, even at JMU. And so mm-hmm. how did you kind of get out of that funk to where you are? I know you recently played in the U S adaptive open. Sounds yep. like you have a whole bunch of club championships. How have you sort of, <laughs> Uh, I guess sort of shaken off some of those feelings and progressed mentally and physically to, to the point where you are today as a golfer. Sure. Um, well, I remember my sophomore year, I think I weighed 157 pounds and I'm just about six feet tall. So I don't think it was too ridiculous that I wasn't hitting the ball very far. Uh, so I think just growing up, I've physically just been able to apply myself to be able to hit the ball further and compete at a high level. Mm -hmm. Um, Mentally, I think with just personal stuff that I've gone through, I've worked with professionals that have given me excellent perspective. And I think maturity is just something that comes, it's a contact sport. You only become more mature when you experience things that make you more mature. And, um, you know, golf, you play better when you let go. 
And when other priorities come up in your life that take away the importance of a round of golf, golf tends to become a little bit easier because mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. Um, so I think those, those three things, certainly. Um, perspective is a fantastic thing to learn and then be able to use. Um, you know, the Adaptive Open is something that I just saw. I think I was like surfing the internet in January looking for tournaments to play. And in the summer, it's something that I enjoy doing. I just love competing. And USGA is, United States Golf Association puts on the most competitive, the most difficult tournaments in the world for amateurs and professionals. And I think it's really every golfer's goal to play in a USGA event. So when Mm -hmm. I saw that they were having a tournament for the for people with specific challenges i knew i qualified but i'd also i've never the u.s adaptive open was the first thing that i've ever done in my life for people with disabilities mm-hmm. i've always tried to just compete with my fellow competitors in division one golf or my club or local tournaments in the dmv area and so this was really something which is, I guess, somewhat ironic that I was stepping out of my comfort zone a little bit and going into a community of those that struggle with some with a physical disability. Um, I had a lot of friends be like, "You're not gonna, you can't qualify for that. Like, you, you beat me. How, how are you?" Um, but I, I knew that all over the world, there are people that have their own challenges that have overcome things like I have and play golf at an extremely high level. And I got there and it was a fantastic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, still pretty upset with how I played. You know, it's funny that I've been reached out to about, you know, my experience but yet, you know, I felt like I played pretty lousy the last 24 holes. You know, it's like two shots from the lead. And um, you know, I feel like I, I let a championship slip out of my hands. And that's golf. But that's also, you know, I have a full-time job. I have yeah. a girlfriend that I care about a lot. And I have a family that I hang out with a lot. Playing golf at that level is extremely difficult and the sacrifices that you have to make and the reps you have to have is just something that is very difficult to do while having other things going on. Um, I showed up having no idea what the competition was going to be like, but I learned that there apparently is a pseudo professional tour in Europe where they travel all over the continent and the world to play in disabled tournaments alongside what is now called the DP world tour, but used to be called the European tour. And that was like, okay, well you, this is your job. Like I, you know, I, I got in front of the USGA and they were interviewing me about, you know, what the experience was like. And I told them, you know, I was at my desk selling software a week ago and now I have a microphone in front of me and you want to ask me about how I played today. Like it's a little different. Um, <laughs> I wish I could play in more tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was able, I experienced the level of competition and a level of focus myself with TV cameras 
and photographers and the governor of North Carolina introducing himself before I teed off that you know, competition can be extremely addicting, even when you don't perform as well as you know that you can. And I know that golf will always be there at a level of competition that I would like to play. I hope I can continue to do that. Um, but really the ultimate goal is to be a Paralympian. Mm -hmm. um, golf is not a Paralympic sport yet. Uh, the USGA putting on this tournament and having its own worldwide worldwide championship for this community, I think is only going to help the <clears throat> opportunity for golf to be a Paralympic sport when the Paralympics comes to LA in 2028. Mm -hmm. And I've actually already started to talk to a few people and stay connected with those that I met down there because that's what I learned is a goal of a lot of people that were there. Mm -hmm. And um, that's just been something that I've had my eye on for a very long time. And I hope to achieve that one day. That's incredible. Yeah. It would certainly add to a, an impressive list of accomplishments. Yeah. That'd be awesome. And you did finish, you did finish top 10, I believe at the adaptive open. So still, still a pretty good finish there for you. Um, you. Yeah. Adding on to your, your list of accomplishments. But thank you so much for taking up a, a lot of your time, but it's really incredible to hear your story, hear your journey. And um, I'll make sure my co-host Jack will be here for, for the next one. We'll have both of us on for sure. Cause we're going to have to follow up for the, uh, the Paralympic journey for sure. But, yeah. but Jack, thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing your story with us in the podcast. It's an incredible one and, and one that I'm sure we're going to follow for a long time. Thank you as well. It's been a really cool experience and uh, go Dukes. For Bennett Conlin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.